And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here with Matt Watson. Hi, Matt. Dude, I'm so excited to be done with this series. It's time to negotiate an exit. I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> Part 50. Part 50. Two months late, kind of, maybe. But I feel like the quality. We didn't rack up a lot of technical data on this one, did we? For a tech company, uh, over a 12-month schedule being two months behind, I think we're ahead. <laughs> it's a win, right? We're right. ahead. So, Well, fortunately, we took our own advice, and we assumed that things would take twice as long. So I'm looking at it more as being 10 months ahead. Yeah, we're 10 months. How about that? (laughs) I know. Yeah, I know. And way, way under budget. That's for damn sure. Way under budget. Now, by the way, Matt, speaking of budgets, today's episode of Startup Hustle is sponsored by Gusto. And, you know, they have modern solutions for modern HR problems, whether it's talent management, payroll or onboarding tools. Gusto's HR platform has it all for you. Be smarter than your competitors and try a three month free subscription. Just go down to the show notes gusto.com forward slash startup hustle gusto.com forward slash startup hustle it's so much easier to just click the link but yeah so you know thank you gusto for helping us stay ahead of budget um no cool platforms i was listening to last week's uh episode um on my way to the office today matt and you were really excited about anything that helps with hr problems Man, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I had to deal with more of that bullshit this week. Um, yeah. The ghosts. Yeah. All right. So here we are, part 50 of 52 and our 52-part series about how to start a tech company. Matt, in the, in the, in the uh, prior weeks, we've talked about reasons acquisitions fall apart, preparing for your exit, what is an acquisition, raising capital, a whole lot of other things. Now, when it comes to, you know, obviously last week, we're talking about why things fail. Um, Negotiating a a successful exit is exactly that, not failing. Now, one thing to keep in mind, you know, when it comes to like negotiate negotiation of exit strategies, it's defined as pay and benefits you can receive when you want to sell, sell your equity in the company. So now these things are, are historic. I'm not going to pretend to have a, a, any firsthand experience with this. I know you do, but I mean, overall, when it comes to negotiations, it's tough on both sides and the process is emotional. We've talked a little bit about that and requires care and empathy and patience. And, you know, the more info you collected during due diligence and other cases, it's going to really help. But like, I mean, when you think about negotiating an exit, you're, you're the master. Well, and, and when you think about it, it's a lot more complicated than it seems because you're really negotiating a bunch of different things, right? You're not just negotiating a price for what you're going to sell the company for. You're also negotiating uh, how this impacts all of your employees, right? 
Uh, how does it impact all of the shareholders? How does it impact your customers? How does it impact your product and what you've built, right? You know, who you sell the company to and the state at which your company is in and the reason you're trying to do an exit, you know, can dramatically change a lot of these different factors. Um, you and I both know somebody who recently tried to sell their business and didn't end up doing it. And they were just like desperately hoping to get enough money back to pay back the investors. And not even all the investors, I think, were going to get paid back. But ultimately for them, I think the deal fell apart because they didn't like the jobs that they were going to get at the new company that was part of the deal. Like they weren't even going to get any money in the deal because it was sort of a, a, I don't want to call it a fire sale, but it was just kind of more of an exit to kind of get out from underneath all of it. But ultimately, they just decided not to do it because they didn't like the jobs that they were going to get and what their salary was going to be at the new company. Like a lot of this is really can be really complicated and there's a lot of factors and it depends on the type of company you have and the situation you're in. Well, and then certain parts of it, you know, when the tide rises in one of those areas, it may lower in another one. Yeah. It may bring all the boats up like and the, and this is like you know, kind of like I'm, I'm picturing like a marionette and that someone's pulling the strings and, you know, it's kind of, and they really, these things really are fluid and in motion. And then I don't think you can really predict uh, some of this. I mean, I think much like we've referred to in so many things on this podcast, like 80% of, of it is probably the same because there's just certain things that need to occur and do. And then, but it's the 20% that is variable that really creates the true variations. And, you know, we were talking last week about why things fail and dude, and we, and we only scratched the surface. Yeah. And one thing I was, one thing I was, I, I really found interesting and, you know, I don't want to digress back to episode 49 because I want to talk about this other one. But, you know, you hear every day, you hear all the, if your news feed is loaded with a successful funding rounds and successful exits. And no one ever talks about the reasons they, you don't hear about yeah. the failures yep. or they publicize. And, you know, that's why I think, and, and this, this episode is, is akin to that because there really isn't a ton of stuff out there. You, okay, this is not the headline on TechCrunch today. Founders successfully negotiate an exit. <laughs> nope. No, it's like it's like it's like Matt and Matt and Matt Corp gets acquired by Globo Corp in uh, in one trillion dollar all cash deal. You like what I did there? Yeah. I like that. I'll take um, it. Yeah, I don't need a lot of negotiation past that. There's any job that I'd probably take for those terms, but. But yeah, but the thing is, it's like, it's the, first off, these things fail more than they don't and you don't hear about it. And then often people don't want to talk about, well, like we, we mentioned an example company and, you know, I know who you're talking about. And in some, in those cases, there wasn't a big lever for the, the sellers to pull um, because it was a middling company and there's not. And so it's we kind of at the mercy of the we, buyer. Well, and that's because, because uh, you don't have an auction with yeah. one, with one better. And so, you know, when it comes to negotiating, well, let me ask you a question, man. man I, okay. I've known you for a long time. I've recorded hundreds of podcasts with you. I was the best man in your wedding. We own a company together, which by the way, fullscale.io, if you need help finding developers, never ask you this. Um, did, who negotiated the, uh, did the actual negotiation for the Venn solutions exit? And then I guess I could also say the same thing for Stackerbot. So on the Venn Solutions side, we had hired an investment banker. Um, which was called a Presidio out of San Francisco. And they were the ones that kind of helped represent us and were on our side and helped, you know, 
put together all our financials and forecasts and models and all, you know, all this kind of stuff that you need. So they were the ones that kind of ran the process. They, you know, they knew a lot of the big VC and private equity groups and uh, they had done several deals in the automotive industry. So they were the ones that were kind of helping negotiate and run the process. And if you're going to run a really big process and you're going to sell the company for a lot of money, those kinds of people are really valuable. I mean, ultimately, I, I think they definitely helped us. I mean, we might have paid them like a million dollars or a couple million dollars or some bullshit, though. I mean, they got a lot of money. Yeah, but that was like one one to one and a half percent yeah. of the total transaction. Yeah. So the question is, is one as one well, what's the what's if if you know what what's the what's a couple of the things that you learned from them that you absolutely probably wouldn't have considered, done, or known without them? Well, a lot of what they helped with was just preparing all the financial models and stuff, you know, trying to figure out um, you know, analyzing our books and our history and trying to figure out how do we tell the story and forecast growth and, you know, margins and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, and some businesses are more on top of that. Like they know their stuff really well. And back that, that's fact shaping and, and back at that time, I don't know how well we, we did or didn't. That was so long ago, but that was their job was to come in and try and help figure out how do we package this thing up? How do we make it look good? How do we make it sound good? How do we present the numbers in the way that people are, are going to want to see them? And I think there's also a certain amount of credibility you get from working with a well-established investment banker like them. And, you know, they had sold um, several other automotive companies to some of the big strategic acquirers. So pretend like you were wanting to sell a social media company, right? Like if you could deal with somebody who had, you know, firsthand experience working with the likes of Facebook and Twitter and Google and, and stuff like that, like that would be great. And they can probably open doors that you by yourself couldn't open, Right. And get their attention and say, oh, we got this really hot company and whatever, and they would take it more seriously. So and investment bankers, I think, can be really helpful uh, to, to that point. And to, and to what you said earlier, like you usually want some form of auction to happen, right? You want multiple buyers. And when they ran a big, long process for us, we actually think about like a, a, a March Madness bracket, right? We had like the first round of people, like we just sent them a packet and they had to show some sort of interest. And only if they showed some sort of interest did they even get to move to the next round and like actually talk to us, right? Um, so there was actually like some several, like two or three rounds of that. And then we would go back to them, meet them, and then they'd have to you know, improve their offer. And, and it got down to you know three or four people in the end that we would go see and wine and dine and whatever. So it, you know, it, was, it was a several wave uh, process and, and the, the offers just got better, you know, every week, every month as we went through those. But that process took, a, it took probably six months. Um, and then once we got to the final, you know, buyer, then the process took, you know, two or three months or whatever to finalize the deal. But yeah, it, it was a, a lot of dog and pony show. Um, but the investment banker, I think, helped us a lot. At the end of the day, they, they helped make, you know, Put, you know, show us in the best light and they have some connections to help open some doors. They have relationships with different VCs and stuff and, and help get us in front of the right people, I think was the biggest value that they brought. Yeah, that was a hundred, hundred and fifty million dollar transaction. And then, you know, you look at and and I can see why that was a key at that. Now, if you go even bigger, you talk like like Wall Street, yeah, mergers and acquisition stuff. In those cases, the, those deals require like that's like like Arthur Anderson yeah. and like these, like they're like the I I think there's like four of them or something. I don't know. There's, and when you're some of those things, like those deals can't and won't even happen or pass even regulatory approval without that kind of investment. 
involvement. Now, your company was working for you. There could also be intermediary. Yeah. And the other thing well. to consider there is there's a lot of CYA that goes on, right? A lot of cover your ass kind of stuff. And, you know, f- from the seller, from my perspective, the investment banker is trying to ensure that we're legit and all of that and go through everything and do the, do their due diligence so that when they go to the VCs and these VCs only want to deal with, you know, top tier things that don't have a lot of hair on them and a lot of problems because they've got all these big institutional investors and all that, right? Especially when you're talking about big deals, you got big money and it's CYA all the way up and down. These people only want quality deals. They don't have weird problems and hairy things. And so, yeah, definitely when you're talking about the upper echelon of stuff, you're, you're dealing with people that are trying to CYA all the way up and down. And we dealt with that with StackFi, right? Like we're selling to a private equity, but the private equity has LPs, limited partnership investors. And, you know, the, the private equity has to cover their own butt from their investors. It's like you, yeah. you, get, you get the layers of that, right? And the bigger the deal, the more people involved and the more layers, the more money. And everybody wants to CYA. Well, and and for the Stackify one, I had limited involvement in that and just basically the relationship that FullScale had with that. But those were very sophisticated people on the buying side of things. You yeah. know, they were, I mean, yeah, I mean, this, and here's the thing is if you want to play in the big leagues, you need to come with a big league roster. And, yeah. you know, part of like these big transactions is, you know, like you're talking hundreds of millions of dollars. And that's where I, I, I personally it, you know, would recommend you got to find experts and yeah. you know, we, Matt, you know, here, here we are, uh, you know, this is going to be roughly the 800th episode of this show four years crazy. later. I, I can't believe that uh, 150,000 downloads a month right now, by the way, thank you for all of you listening. Like, seriously, thank you. Like uh, you have anything in the world you can do and you choo- choosing to pay attention to what we do, it is noticeable and it is appreciated. But, you know, as we've kind of continued to talk to people and, you know, like this has been, Startup Hustle has been a master's degree in entrepreneurship on many levels for me. But I think one of the big takeaways that I've gotten over time, and maybe I've just matured a little as well, is just really appreciating the expertise that certain uh, companies, software, or service providers offer. Yeah, absolutely. Because like, like the thing is, is well, okay, I'll give you some perspective. We have three different attorneys, not yeah. one firm. We have three different because they are good at three different things or, well, one of them's just a third of the price of doing some of the things that the other ones aren't. So we have one attorney that is like literally like the startup guy you know, and like answers questions that, and, and the thing is, is okay, now that is hundreds of dollars an hour. I'm not going to put them on the pedestal for that. But, but the thing is, is with people complain about that shit. They're like, Oh, it's so expensive. You're not paying for that hour. You're paying for all the hours that they took to learn all that stuff. And the one hour that you, you're getting the information that you and, and to so, avoid mistakes, right? Like, Yes, and and yes. I just had CYA, this CYA cover your ass. And yeah. and I just had this happen real world. I'm remodeling my bathroom and the general contractor for whatever reason had the guy who's an electrician doing some plumbing work for me and he screwed up some plumbing part which cost $500 to replace the part cuz he soldered something wrong. And now we got to hire <sighs> a, a plumber to come in probably at three times the rate he was hiring his handyman. Yeah. And so yeah, how much it cost way more money to fix the first dude's screw up, right? So, but that, but when you if do you need, that, if you need, if you need a brick layer, if you need a wall made out of bricks, you call a brick, yeah. layer, not a plumber. And, and it's yeah. so different when you're dealing with stuff like this, selling a company that you want to have the, the right people that have been through this before. <clears throat> so when the buyer sends you 
an offer and it's, you know, for participating stock versus participating preferred equity that you know what the hell the difference is because it's a huge difference instead of just saying yes. Um, there's so, you know, so many little details in that stuff when you're, when you're negotiating a deal that you want expert lawyers and accountants and investment bankers and yeah, all that stuff. Well, you'll hear me say Google it. Uh, that doesn't apply to this. Meaning like, you know, yeah. and, and, and you, like, want you can get the info out there, but you really do. And, you know, Matt, we're both advanced users in this space as far as like, we're like prosumers, not, not professionals in that, like legal and in the negotiation. So, you know, don't fool yourself into believing that you know it all. And, and honestly, man, there are just so many there, oh my God, I, I don't even have the patience to read the 50 page document they send over with some of these things. And then, you know, section 13.2 could have something in it that because you don't know what you're doing affected section 53.1, blah, blah, blah. And you talk about that CYA, these things trigger and waterfall and can really kind of, well, kind of like, uh, uh, I think about those old cartoons. Is it, you know, is it Wiley Coyote that always has things blowing up in his face or is it a different one? It is. Is it, it is. Wiley Coyote? Yeah. Okay. Cause I'm more of a Tasmanian devil myself, kind of just, you know, always in motion and, you know, sometimes leaving a trail of dust. Well, um, one, one thing's yeah. for sure. When you start your company, legal zoom might be a great option when you sell sure. it. No, it's not, not, not so much, <laughs> not yeah. so much legal zoom. <laughs> Yep. Yep. That's the best yep. way to sum it up, I think. <laughs> okay. So a couple things now, you know, one of the oldest adages for just accomplishment and success, and this is from the, what is it like the seven habits of highly effective people, which yeah. by the way, I've only read the the list, not the book, but oh, that's the problem. Hey, that's, you, no, I get Maybe, maybe. <laughs> I'm going to write, I'm going to write, uh, the, the shortened list of seven habits for semi-effective people. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Yeah. That's my perfect right, plan. But, but number one always stuck with me, which is begin with the end result in mind. Yeah. And that is, that is excellent advice for doing anything. So, you know, the first part of our notes and our, and our research have led to suggesting you need to keep your original ob objectives in mind. Now, what are they? Have you even established those? So like, cause I don't think sell, getting acquired is not an objective. That is a, a result. So like you mentioned all these things, like list out what's important to you and, and maybe kind of rank them too. You know, like you have employee, investor, personal yeah. future, all these considerations. And then, you know what, like it mattered. Uh, I think one thing I've learned about being an entrepreneur is you never get a truly ideal situation. And if you do question it, you, you don't. And it's weird things that go into this, right? So one of the companies we could have sold Venn solutions to, I won't, I won't name, but the, the guy who owned it was kind of considered to be like the Darth Vader of the industry. And we, we didn't really want to sell the company to him, but he had made the best offer. Ultimately somebody else made a better offer, but um, we didn't really want to sell the company to him. And, and he had like some weird policies like uh, there was no smoking allowed on on anywhere on the property around their offices. And I don't know about you, but I'm it, okay. I'm okay with that rule, by the way, which I'm okay with sure. that too. But if you've yeah. ever seen car salespeople, yeah, and car I was going to say for a car, for a car deal, that's maybe not the right approach. You know, no. most people who sell cars smoke, uh, you know, I, we're just going to call the stereotype. Right. And at <laughs> solutions, we hired a lot of those people. 
And if you drove by her building at any time, there would have been like 20 or 30 people smoking outside. It looked like a chimney, right? And so that wouldn't have worked very great for our employees. You know, just now maybe we're in a different time and not smoking at at office complexes is more common than it was then. But, you know, it was just little things like that that, you know, from a culture perspective, we're like, you know, I don't know. Nobody wants to work for this dude. So, so a, a couple, a couple things, Matt, first, I think Darth Vader is just misunderstood. That's true. Cause I'm a Darth Vader fan, true. you know, like, I mean, he really showed his human side when he took the helmet off right before Luke threw him to his death or however that happened. I don't know. I think the Mandela effect changed star Wars. Cause apparently it's not, I am your father, Luke, or I don't know, look it up. Um, a, another thing was you talk about like the funny stigmas, uh, as many of you may or may not know, I worked in the music industry for a while and an unnamed company, we had to make cuts. We had to, and we were having a, a like a, this big company, we had, had like the top 10 people in the room. I was happy to even be there. And we were going through re- how we could do that. And, uh, remember these are musicians and everyone that works at the store. Someone said, we should give drug tests. And the CEO said, we don't want to lose the whole fucking company. Yeah. <laughs> I just thought that, that was, was the same hilarious. thing with car just, dealers, man. Yeah. 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 It was the yeah, same it was, thing. And it was, and you know, what's really funny. It was, it was, it was true. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I thought that was fun. Okay. Give so a bunch of musicians now, drug tests. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> right. So maybe not the best approach now, you know, being structured is important and that's what I want to talk about next, but I also want to, bring up that managing your team can be as easy as one, two, three with gusto, no more late nights for processing payroll or dealing with business tax filings, no more painful spreadsheets for attendance tracking, say hello to your new smart HR platform. Go to gusto.com forward slash startup hustle, get three free months subscription. When you sign up gusto.com forward slash startup hustle. Look, this is the stuff you, you have better things to do at your business than all the stuff that gusto does for you. It's just that simple. So, and, and you talk about that structure and, and that's what we're going to talk about next. So Gusto maps out all that stuff for you and make sure it happens. The next part of a successful exit is doing exactly that. Let's map out the negotiation process. Now, Matt, we messed this up in 2020. So we thought at full scale, we had uh, never really been truly serious about bringing in investors, but we found one that we thought would be decent. The pandemic hit right around the time we were going to cash, potentially cash a check. We tabled it and we came back and visited it. Now, as that process went on and on and on, I finally got to the point where I had to basically demand, Hey, I need an offer. I need a valuation. I need a term sheet. I need something because you are sucking up a lot of our time without it. And I, and I, I made this mistake. We didn't map out this negotiation process. Now we don't, we'd have to almost do a whole nother episode just to define that. And honestly, I'm not even qualified to truly do that. You've mentioned some of the things, but you need to make sure you understand what the game plan is, you know, and, and where you're going to go now. In the, and this wasn't an acquisition I was referring to as an investment, but like you experienced it too. Like we, I mean, we felt an organizational drag from all the things that we were needing to do, providing whatever. And then you kind of get to the point, you're like, so what exactly are we talking about here? Cause we're not, I don't even know if we're going to be close. And by the way, when we did get a term sheet, it would, the, the valuation sucked and it had a shitload of fees in it. And that resulted in me saying things that weren't polite. Uh, avoid saying the need to say things that aren't polite by mapping out your process. Well, and, I and, think, you know, look, you get a, st- I mean, it's not always going to be rigid, but have an idea of where it's going. The, the key thing here is you've got to date multiple buyers 
or multiple investors at the same time. The absolute worst thing you can do is think, oh, we're going to sell the company to Google. Let's talk to them. Let's figure it out. And then like six weeks go by and nothing happens. And then you're like, oh, we're going to sell to Microsoft. And then like six weeks go by and nothing happens. And then it's the next person. And as for you know what, like weeks and months have went by and you didn't get shit done. Like you've got to, I don't know how to say it, but you got to, you got to sleep around town, man. You like all of them at the same time. You've got to potentially talk to every one of these buyers at the same time, go through the process at the same time. You have to do them in parallel. You cannot do one and then wait and then do the other one and wait because nothing may ever come of it. And the only way you're ever going to get multiple buyers and kind of an auction going too is if you're talking to multiple people at the same time. So you, that's the key is you've, you've, you've got to get multiple people at the same time going. You absolutely cannot wait on one of them to make a decision before talking to other people because it will just kill you. And it will just drag on. Well, and that's next on the list is set deadlines, which is yes. part of what, and that goes very well with that. What I was made with the negotiation process, which by the way, I haven't done this research at that point, but I did set a deadline. I was like, look, I need, I need to fucking know where we're at on this. And if I don't know by Saturday, I'm just assuming we're not doing it. And you can come figure out the rest of it later. And now here's the thing is like, you know, like, okay, I'm not always patient. I, I know that. I try to be polite, but sometimes you gotta, you gotta be heavy a little bit. You gotta say like, Hey, you know, like show up, let's, are we doing this or are we not? Well, and everybody be works with better with too. a deadline. Yeah. Right. Well, you also gotta be good. You gotta be careful with that too. Cause you don't want to implode things and make yourself look like a total asshole. Now at the same time, well, you know, honestly, there's probably some buyers out there that would appreciate that quality. Well, they, as well, but see, they struggle with yeah. it on their own, their own end, right? Imagine you work at some big VC and you're like, well, they only meet uh, every other Tuesdays, our investment meeting. And for them, they're frustrated uh, too. They're like the first Tuesday yeah, of every quarter. They want to do yeah. a deal. They like, they want to do it too. So in some degree, you putting pressure on them and a deadline on them forces them to go back and have a reason to put a deadline on the jack wagons that's slowing shit down on their end, right? And and it's not that you want to like what what is a jack wagon? I don't know. But you don't want to you don't want to arbitrarily like piss everybody off else off in the process, right? right? But you do want to say things like, "Hey, uh when do you think you can get this done?" And then whatever they say, you freaking hold their feet to the fire and you remind them of you said you'd have this done by then, right? And you follow up and you send reminders and you keep asking and you hold them hold their feet to the fire, right? You like let Sounds them... a lot like a sales process, yeah. Matt. Yes. Maybe be a salesperson. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and yeah. And by the way, as you know, as the, I, I was telling someone the story earlier, I was a sales trainer 20 years ago and um, follow-up is key. And also sometimes you got to say no. Like right. I actually made a Facebook post the other day in the startup hustle chat. By the way, if you are on Facebook, find us, start a hustle chat. We share added content, polls, surveys, videos, stuff you don't get on here. And also occasionally a video of Matt Watson performing feats of athleticism. Mm, yep. Did you see that on our, I, did you see that on our, the startup hustle podcast, Instagram the other day? I got nostalgic. Yeah. I, I don't I, use yeah. Instagram. It's uh, I published it as a real map and I believe hundreds and hundreds of people have seen it. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe only two likes, but a lot of people saw it, which is different now. Now. Okay. So we talk about deadlines Now, the flip on the flip side of that. You got to be careful. You don't, don't jump the gun either. Now there, this, that that's too blanket of advice to be effective. So a couple of things is I've seen people get real antsy as 
not maybe as much prior to an acquisition, it's more prior to funding, they kind of fuck it up because they get antsy. Yeah. And, you know, I want to know, and, you know, they just don't handle the pressure very well. So first off, no, this is a pressure packed situation and your worst personality traits come out when you're under stress and under pressure. So you got to catch yourself a little on that. Now, at the same time, like when we talk about not jumping the gun, like this is a negotiation. So don't race to the bottom with the minimum price that you might take. Now in the world, in the world of selling, it is pretty much a, the world's worst secret that you can always lower your price, but trying to increase it is very difficult. Now you have the opposite side of that with Venn solutions, but that is not, that is not normal in a lot of cases. And you know, you're just like, if you, so I was li- once again, listening to last week and you're saying at one point you guys had an $80 million offer. If you had jumped the gun and taken it out, yeah. you would have left 170 million bucks on the table, man. Yep. Yeah. And you know, actually the uh, auto trader acquired us. And, and, by, and by the way, that 80 million bucks is pretty easy to check to cash for pretty much everyone too. So it's like, eh. well, and, and to ultimately auto trader acquired us, but they didn't go through any of the process. So when we originally, you know, we're going through this process and meeting with all the VCs and we messaged all the different strategic investors, like auto trader would have been one of them. But at the time they were too busy with some other acquisition. And so we just kept the process kept going. We kept talking to all these other VCs and all these other people. And then when we got to the very, very, very end, we, we told auto trader, we're like, Hey, by the way, um, sorry, you weren't interested. Just to let you know, we, we got a deal and, and we are going to be selling the company to one of your big competitors. And, um, you should think about that. And then they basically messaged back and said, we thought about it. And the answer is no, you're not going to, we will be there in two days and we're going to talk about this. And that's literally what happened. Like, so we screwed around with all these other people and, and got to the last minute and told, kind of held leverage to them of saying, Hey, by the way, we're going to sell to your competitor. And they're like, Nope, you're not. And you just never know how these things are going to go. So as we, as we continue to move through this next one is, is very Sun Tzu art of war. Um, and you know, I I don't know. Have you ever read that? No, but I I've heard him talk about it in movies. So so Sun Tzu's the art of war is pretty much a staple in a lot of business schools because Sun Tzu was a, uh, I can't remember the, from like the, you know, like when samurais were around Mm -hmm. like the year 1000 kind of stuff, but he wrote the art of war and it's, it's, it's very brief book and it has some principles. And, you know, a lot of them are things like, you know, it only engage in battle when you're in a position of of power or like not, you don't want to be on the low ground. Like that's when it's time to bail and go and go somewhere else because you're, you're fighting uphill battles. So, but one thing is, you know, like negotiations favor the prepared. And so be prepared and have your financials and other info. And if you don't feel like that's a strong suit, you know, the next thing we've got on our list, which we, we jumped the gun on a little bit, but bring in a third party. You know, we talked about that earlier, but you know, like that, like, okay, are you a good, are you like a, are you an A plus negotiator? Cause honestly, I'm not. I definitely don't think I'm an A plus negotiator. Um, right. You know, I'm like I'm an, I'm an A minus one, but. And when we, when we sold Stackify, we did not long use. long distance from A minus to A plus. On the Stackify sell, I didn't use any kind of investment banker. So it was just me and, and the lawyer that, that did everything. Um, I felt like I'd done it before and, and I felt pretty comfortable with the process and I didn't really want to spend half a million, million dollars or whatever paying some investment banker that I didn't feel like was going to add a whole lot of value because we weren't running a big process. We just had one suitor, right? Like Netro, 
talked to us. We made made them an offer. They made us an offer and we negotiated the deal. We were running some big process and, and all that kind of stuff. Now maybe we could have. Can we can we give your startup hustle TV GoPro a credit for being involved too? Because you did you did purge many demons to that. Yeah. And by the way, find that find that on our YouTube channel. We'll, we'll get a link to it in the show notes as well. But we we Matt recorded a re- regular updates to document the, the process. process of yep. the acquisition. And you see you see Matt age. I, you can literally like. You, by the way, you look remarkably better now. Oh, well, thank you. Then you did at the end of that. Cause no, you could see the stress oh, yeah. and it's just kind of going on. And then also like, you're like me, you don't like all the, like, okay, you're HR, you're dealing with the ghosts of a company that you don't own anymore. Well, you do kind of do, cause you kind of have some interest in Netrio, but you know, the HR stuff and dealing with that. And, and you know, the, the thing is, is when you're already, I don't, it, I want to go back to one thing you mentioned earlier, Vince Solutions, six months to negotiate, three months to close. Like people really, really, really underestimate how long these things are going to take. And I mean, dude, you could have had a baby in that time frame. Yep. It it goes on forever and ever and ever. And that all along the process is a lot of hurry up and wait. You know, like the the private equity that. group would ask yeah. us for something, right? And I run around like crazy of like, oh, they want to know you know, every customer we have and some stat or this number or whatever. And like, I get all this data together and I give it to them. And, and then like a week or two goes by and they finally look at it. And then they ask you like more questions. It's a lot of hurry up and wait. And, and you, t- you mentioned earlier well, about, let's, let's talk about why though. Let's talk about why. Cause well, first off busy people, but also multiple parties possibly involved, often legal, often mm-hmm. accounting, often even like uh, in stack of ice case, there was technical audits and stuff like yeah. that. And sometimes those things just don't happen quickly. And then also um, if you have an attorney who is always available to do your work, the moment you call, it's probably not a good attorney because why are they that available? Yeah. So sometimes you just got to wait for the queue. Yep. Um, hey, Matt, I, I have a question. Um, I, I have a new acronym for our list that I had not heard of. Have you ever heard of ZOPA? Z-O-P-A. No. Feels like something you should yell and like, ZOPA! Zopa! Anyway, yeah. Do it again. That felt good. ZOPA! ZOPA! Zone of possible agreement. Oh, That's apparently the comfort zone, which both parties will be in a zone of possible agreement is a range in negotiation in which two or more parties can find common ground. Well, you, you mentioned, I, I feel like you, I want to yell Zopa at the end of that. We, uh, you mentioned earlier, like, uh, you know, the patients required to do all this and, and that's the hardest part was for me, right? Like I was the person who was spearheading all of it and I had like spreadsheets of all the requests that had to be done and who was doing them and, and all that. And all along, every single day, all of my employees that are aware of the deal, and at the time there was, you know, half a dozen of them or whatever, the management team, they're, they want to know what's going on, what's going on, what's the latest, what's this, what's that? My wife, you know, my wife wants to know, like everybody wants to know what's going on. Nothing. Just putting together spreadsheets, another day of spreadsheets, another day of documents. Like, and another day of waiting. Another day of waiting. It's like a whole lot of hurry mm-hmm. up and wait. And it's beyond frustrating because, you know, they just, they want this information. We put it together. They have some questions about accounting. How do you do your P&L? And why does income say this? And what are these expenses? Why is this expense more than it was last quarter? Blah, blah, blah. It's like all this bullshit. You put it together and send it to them and you just wait. And they ask more questions. Put it together and wait. And it goes back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And it just goes on forever. Well, that's why the final item on our list is take a breather. 
Dude, what Matt just did, right? What? Yeah, yell Zopa a whole bunch. <laughs> um, but you know, we've said it's not. This isn't my quote. Warren Buffett's really well known for saying nine women don't make a baby in a month. Yes, um, you can't. Sp- it's certain things. Just they, the process. You got to trust the process. Now, if the process exists and you have the right advisors around you and you're prepared for it. Um, that's going to feel a lot easier, but look, if you get antsy, all right. So first off, if you're selling your company to an acquiring party, um, go ahead and just assume that they're sophisticated and they know what they're doing. And I'm telling you, people that know what's up, they smell this stuff and feed off of it. Desperation, uh, anxiety, uh, just like, you know, kind of like you mentioned, like you could have taken the $80 million offer, which by the way, I'm sure there was someone somewhere in your life was going, dude, you're fucking crazy for not cashing that now. Well, and, and here's the deal. We talk about negotiating a, a six, a successful edit. I can't talk today. Zopa. A successful Zopa. exit. Yeah. I, I don't know why I felt like I wanted to say. Zopa sex. had nothing to do with that. I just, yeah. I wanted right. to say like sexit or something. I, I couldn't, can't say successful exit. You can do that on the next episode with our resident sex coach, Kristen Thomas. Who, yes. As I believe now done her fourth episode. We let her talk to Lauren this time. So the it feels like when you're talking to the buyer, right? They keep asking for all this information and it all of it just sort of feels like this never ending test of them trying to uncover something so that then they can renegotiate the deal, right? They're like, oh, well, we found this thing and your margins aren't as good as you said they were going to be or this partnership or this you know, this hairy thing from three years ago and you don't have this signed employment agreement or like whatever, right? It kind of feels like at all times, like you said earlier, like it's a constant like getting to know each other and test and them, you know, feeling out like how sophisticated we are and how how we have our shit together. And at any point they can walk away, right? So it's like a never ending kind of getting to know each other and then figuring out, do we know what we're doing or not? And then trying to uncover some sort of skeleton so that the last minute they can come back and renegotiate the deal. Cause I promise well, they're right, all trying to do that. that. That's a two way street though. It's a two way street. You got to remember that yeah. negotiations are a two way thing, a couple of things. And you know what, as we uh, make our approach pattern to wrapping up and having a successful exit to this series uh, soon, which by the way, we're going to do a series on, NFTs, crypto, blockchain, and all of that. And uh, I'm looking forward to that too. Hopefully that, Hunter knows, that might take 52 weeks as well, as much as that's growing. Uh, you know, one, Matt, once again, today's episode of Startup Hustle was brought to you by Gusto. If you're looking for an all-in-one HR platform, it's time to check out Gusto. You have everything you need in just a few clicks of a button. You'll even get three months free. When you, All you got to do, Matt, gusto.com forward slash startup hustle gusto.com forward slash startup hustle link in the show notes. There's also a link in the show notes for Matt's acquisition video. Um, and, uh, now that we, uh, we're, we have to, <laughs> all right. I mentioned, I lied earlier, Matt. I said, we hadn't accumulated any technical debt. We have, we have to go back to 49 other episodes and add the link that you can now find in this one that links to all of the tech series, episodes. which is awesome. Just them. Yes. And that, by the way, you talk about pre- preparation. Thank you, Jessica, for preparing that because, and thank you for Gigabook for helping it with it and all of it. But, um, this you almost know, feels there's, like there's writing a, couple- a book, you know, and like completing yeah. writing the book. People, well, having writ th- written three, Matt, people ask, what's the greatest thing about writing a book? Finishing yes. it. Yes. 
<laughs> that's it. Cause dude, I'm telling when you actually write a book, like you go, you, so it, also yesterday I was thinking, I was like, God, is it time for me to write another book? And then literally the, there, this little, this little guy, this little, no, this little guy appeared on my shoulders. Like, what are you thinking about? You stop that right now. Fucking crazy. You'll hate, you'll hate, you'll hate the topic halfway through. And that's true. Um, now, but unless you find a good third party, like Patrick Price, you've talked to Patrick before my editor is sharp guy. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, once again, so kind of going back to, to the conclusion here, uh, much like Patrick, find people that are going to make your life easier during this process. Uh, also, and not secret facts of the world, um, it's pretty known that uh, uh, most negotiations involve both parties leaving a little unhappy. Yeah. So if you if you think you're getting that pitch, that's like not even a pitch. If you think you're stepping up to home plate and there's just a ball on a tee sitting there waiting for you, you're wrong. Well, it's not going to be that way. And so to some degree, you got to push back, right? So they know to stop pushing you. If you don't ever push back, they're just going to keep pushing you too. That's and, well, that was my point yeah. earlier. And it's like, you know, and, and so by the way, people suck at that. And you know, my wife gets really mad at me when I push back on a lot of stuff. And sometimes I just look over at her and I'm like, you're welcome. Because you do have to push back on stuff. And the thing is, is, is back to that. Look, this is it, one thing I want to point out is, look, these people aren't your friends. You can be friends and have a beer after you sign papers and do wire transfers. That is your on, on many levels, your your adversary, because it's their job to get the best deal for them. It's your job to get the best deal for you. Now, look, I don't hate my competitors. I don't hate the, the adversary or an, an, someone you're negotiating. This is part of the process moving forward. Another thing I want to point out is, is this is a sales process. So lean on simple sales things, follow up, handling objections. And if, it, okay, interested buyers always have objections. If they don't, they're not really that interested because it's just part of the process to question things, have more, you know, you just have more questions and you want to know more stuff. Don't let that part frustrate you and make you think that it's falling apart. That's actually progress. Like when, it, when someone that's buying something, if they don't honestly dude, if they don't have objections, they, they're not probably a real buyer. So objections are the things that uh, essentially just require clarification. That's it. It's your job to clarify it. And then one other thing, and I'll hand the mic over to you, Matt, is like you talked about the uh, hiring the company that was telling the story the right way and all that. You know, I commonly refer to this as fact shaping. Mm -hmm. um, there are infinite numbers of ways to present facts. And that means some of them have to be way better than others. So spend some time on it. You know, spend some time on it. I've spent I have a fun announcement soon, but I just, uh, you know, did a lot of fact shaping and storytelling uh, with a software founder get, that's getting ready to raise capital. So, you know, and some of that was make the message clear, make it simple, make it understandable. And then you also have to understand that people buy things with with them in mind. What's in it for me? Yeah. And that's and that's an important thing. People don't buy features, they buy the benefits. And And it's, you know, you're selling because you want to do it something for you, but people buy because they want to see benefit from it and you can't make it about you. It needs to be about the buyer in that case. Well, in, in conclusion for me, I, I think negotiating a deal is hard and there are always a lot of factors involved. You know, for example, when you're selling the company, is it, is it cash? Is it equity? Is it, you know, what is your em employment position going to be in the new company? Um, there's a lot of different factors that go, that go into it. And, 
the best advice I have is is to get some help and, and get help negotiating and understanding what is kind of market rate, what is normal, right? Um, you know, our lawyer did private equity acquisition deals every week. That's what he did. So, you know, having somebody like that that's helping you navigate through this and understanding what's market rate, what are market terms, right, um, is really, really important. And leaning on those people to help guide you through the process. Every deal is going to be a little different. Um, best advice I have is to avoid earnouts and performance-based bonuses at all costs. Um, you even really want to avoid equity at all costs, right? I mean, you really want cash deals. Uh, that is the only thing that's 100% certain. You know, when you're taking equity in some other company, you have no idea what it'll be worth later. It could be worth absolutely nothing later. Or how so, liquid it could be. Yeah, and liquidity in it. I mean, if you're getting acquired by a publicly traded company and they're going to give you stock that you can sell at the next red light that you stop at via the Robinhood app, that's one thing. Yeah. If it's in non-liquid things, then, I mean, that's the, the biggest frustration that I think uh, that our peers, meaning other software and, and just general entrepreneurs is... You know, it's so funny because, okay, what's your company worth? And, you know, most people think it's worth way more than it is. Okay. But how difficult would it be for you to pull $1 out of that total? Right. And, you know, that's, and that's, well, and, you know, a lot of, a lot of acquisitions are occurring for, uh, uh, because you want liquidity and you want to have money in there now, you know, like overall, I mean, Matt, you brought some really great insight and, you know, once again, you know, Matt's done this twice. And then on top of that, my, my input and my, experience comes from being involved with you and then just a shitload of other people that I've, I've run adjacent to. Um, and you know, everyone really does kind of say the same thing. It took longer than they thought it was more stressful. They felt like they were, there was a lot of scrutiny. There was a, usually one point when they were pretty positive, the deal was going to fail. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't get that to that moment toss, at some that point, point, that coin yeah. toss, yes. it's the coin toss moment, man. It always happens. That's yes. the same, that's the same moment every entrepreneur has in their business. And we've all, if you haven't had it in your business, then you're, you, you just haven't made it there. That's the, the moment where you're like, okay, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to flip a coin. If it's heads, I'll keep doing this. If it's tails, I'm going to go do something else. Now, one thing Matt is I actually have a two headed quarter, but I do flip the coin anyway. So I actually did that with Jill with our ticket company that we ended up making millions from later. But um, I, I said that I was like, I'm gonna flip a coin because we, we were just stuck. And, and she was like, Yeah, but if it's tails, are you really gonna quit? And I was like, No, and I flipped it and it was heads anyway. So I didn't yeah. have to make that decision. But, but yeah, that happens. And you know, the thing is, is it's not dead till it's dead. And it's dead when one of the parties says, fuck off, I'm not doing this, you know? And, yeah. Well, I've Those seen about offering to buy, to buy you out of full scale and paying you in Girl Scout cookies. Um, okay, first off, I'm the one that has 2,000 boxes of Girl <laughs> Scout cookies in my house. Don't ask. There, is, there are no supply chain problems <laughs> at the DeCourcy household with that. Or boxes of books. Um, you know what? And, and by the way, I'm going to put a link in the show notes so you can buy Girl Scout cookies from my daughter. There you go. Please do. If I see you buy them, I'll mention your name and your business on the podcast. How about that? Nice. Uh, Dylan, she's a good salesperson. Did you see her social media video that she made me make for her? Yeah. I also saw the stacks and stacks and stacks of girls. You look like you have a lifetime supply of those things, man. I, you know what? And the, the, you know, the hardest part is none of those are mine. So like if it, last night at about 1130 at night, I was looking for a snack and I'm trying to not be fat anyway. <laughs> and, and I literally like couldn't find anything. I wanted just some sugar and I, and I know I can't touch the 
Girl Scout cookie. Well, I can, but can't eat the product. If you try, you buy. If you try, you buy on that one. So, well, Matt, two more weeks of this, man. You know, we're coming up on a, we're coming up on the the end, and you know, we're gonna, uh, you know, you know what? I'm gonna keep those topics a secret because I, I want it to be a thrilling conclusion. Once again, there's a link in the show notes for Matt's acquisition video and also the link to go straight to what these episodes are. Um, we're just doing that to, for those of you that are interested in the actual series. We're going to be providing more links and more stuff like that, a little more structure because, dude, 800, it's, it's 800 episodes, man. It's a lot to sort through. We get crazy. it. Um, but, I, but I think we're going to keep doing this, right? Yeah, well, I'm excited for our new series on NFTs and blockchain stuff so well and that's going to be fun we have so if you're still listening we're going to do some fun stuff with that it's not going to just be uh it's not going to be just listening and uh we we <laughs> there's going to be a, a, a little bit of people trying to figure out how stuff works as is probably i'm on good, the list oh my god yeah yeah uh but look for the first episode which will be titled wtf as an nft because i think that's <laughs> really the real question everybody has matt i'm gonna go try to sell stuff at for full scale and fullscale.io all see right you around, see ya. startup hustles brought to you by fullscale.io helping you build a software team quickly and affordably make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button then come find us on instagram See you next time.